Welcoming you back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com. Joined by Beaver's Edge writer and KGO radio host TJ Matthewson. We're back here with another edition of the podcast coming to you guys on Pac-12 opening week. Following Oregon State's win over San Diego State to wrap up the non-conference slate 3-0. and Beavers are set to face Washington State in Pullman this weekend. We've got a lot of stuff to get to on the big podcast today. We're going to be joined by a special guest uh, from Wazoo Watch, our sister site up in uh, uh, Pullman this weekend. So that's going to be fun. Stay tuned for a little bit later in the podcast. But, TJ, what's going on, man? How are you? You ready for Pac-12 week to get started beyond just Oregon State, Washington State? Uh, it's going to be some fantastic games this weekend. It's a loaded slate. If you go check out our Pac-12 power rankings that we mm. just put out, I mean, I'm I'm trying to sort through the tiers of this conference so far, and you look <laughs> at the middle six teams are all playing each other. I mean, who doesn't want to start conference play any other way? Like, that sounds great. Oh, it's – I mean, it's insane. I mean, when you look at where – I mean, knowing that we have uh, – you mentioned our power rankings. Make sure to go check those out at beaversedge.com. It's TJ Dillon and I give our uh, weekly uh, ranking of the Pac-12 teams and break it all down. But, TJ, kind of expand on that a little bit. UCLA, for me, was at eight. They're ranked. We're talking one through eight. I mean, the fact that there are eight teams ranked is nuts to begin with, right? Yeah, it is. This is as good as the conference has been in just so long. They didn't disappoint in a week three on on a slate that was was kind of was kind of bad. There were some some opportunities for upsets, and there were a couple of real clunkers in the conference. Stanford lost at home to Sac sure. State. ASU, my alma mater, got shut out at home by Fresno State. But regardless, besides that, I mean, the conference took care of business. I mean, Colorado State drew the uh, sorry Colorado drew the most viewers of what was not a game end game again like continuing to set records I mean man it's just it's going as well as possible as we've seen in the non-conference for this entire entire conference since I've been paying attention to college football usually by now there's been a clunker upset right there's been some team that just hasn't shown up on the road versus a good opponent. That's not been the case. It hasn't been the case for Oregon State. It hasn't been the case for anybody in this conference. And that's what's going to make conference play that much more intriguing is we're now finally going to get to see all these matchups of all these all this hype and see which cream really rises to the top. Because I feel Absolutely. like in this conference or what we've seen this year, like we've seen the top two teams in the, in the whole country, Georgia and Michigan, look good, like yeah. pretty good, but not like – run away for a national championship right now. I mean, this the converts could have two national title contenders at the top, USC and Washington, for how they look that year, this year. And I don't I really don't think and the the second tier of the conference, based on how they'll play here down the stretch, is that far off. No, and I think, you know, I, I think like you said, you know, I gave Washington the top spot this week. I think, you know, the Huskies are playing some incredible football. I think Michael Penix is, you know, arguably encroaching on Caleb Williams as maybe the most effective quarterback in college football. And he's putting together one hell of a Heisman case. If I, if I do do say so myself, however, it's early, right? Non-conference, you know, a lot of, there's nine games left, right? So there's a lot of football left to be played. And, you know, it, it all starts for Oregon state up on the Palouse this weekend, TJ, and, you know, a place in Martin stadium, that's, you know, quite tough for Oregon state to win. We're going to be getting into that a little bit later in the podcast. Again, we'll be joined uh, by a member of our uh, sister site, Wazoo watch. So definitely looking forward to that conversation as we give some picks and kind of dive into the nitty gritty, but let's quickly TJ recap, you know, the win over San Diego state, 
it, a bit of a weird game now that we've kind of had the benefit of hindsight to look back and kind of look at the the score was kind of odd. You know, the, the game flow was a little bit odd. You know, Jonathan Smith said it on Monday. He felt like the offense left some meat on the bone. I thought the defense, you know, while they weren't great in the secondary and allowed some, you know, passing plays towards the end of that game that really kind of, you know, allowed San Diego State to kind of get some momentum. I thought the run defense was still good. And I thought if the defense didn't show up in that kind of same way, it would have been a much different game. It just seemed like DJU and the offense were never quite able to find that rhythm. And it was just kind of a, you know, I've seen a wide range of Beaver fans' responses on, you know, beaversedge.com on the damn board. But for the most part, it, it just seems like inconsistent or just an off game seems to be kind of the universal term agreed upon. What, what's kind of your thoughts, TJ? Is that what you saw out there too? Well, DJ didn't get sacked in this game, but I think the the mix of pressure was was getting to him a little bit. He had more rushers in his face than he had had each of the first two Agreed. weeks about San Diego State. Really mixed it up well. And Jim Halchek, when we talked to him yesterday here recording on a Wednesday, he said, you know, the, the communication was tested. No two looks of that San Diego State defense looked the same. And I think it affected what DJ saw down the field wasn't totally trusting himself we saw some overthrows we saw the two interceptions that weren't great on his part but what good teams do is they adapt and I think Oregon State adapted nicely what what yards down the field it wasn't there so they pivot to the screen game and the screen game really did most heavy lifting for this offense and made their numbers look you know even better than they did. Oregon State right now through three weeks, Brendan, is top 10 nationally in yards per play on offense, which if you're in that range, you're pretty elite usually across the board. There's not much you do well, and Oregon State beat their mark on the season in this game against San Diego State. Again, just another incredibly efficient game. What was the overall yards per play? It was 7.7. That's an elite mark right there, but it didn't seem like it watching the game. At all, was, which makes you yeah. really, I say, get excited when the offense actually clicks on all cylinders. And how much of that, too, and, you know, just an observation for me, it seemed like Research Stadium, a little sleepy at 1230. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, compared to the week prior when it felt like you could grab a bolt of Zeus's electricity out of the air against UC Davis, it, it, it just a very different kind of vibe. And not to say that Oregon State wasn't ready to play early as they played San Jose State at 1230 on a Sunday, uh, you know, to open, you know, this this season. I, I just think that for whatever reason, it was kind of a game where Oregon State didn't necessarily have their best or most consistent. But yet, I think it speaks volumes to where Oregon State is now, folks. You know, a couple years ago, you know, it's still a home game, but this is maybe a game a couple years ago that Oregon State would have struggled with in the sense that Oregon State is still learning how to be the hunted. So perhaps last year and even the year before, nobody expected much out of Oregon State. And I don't think week in and week out, you know, people were, you know, picking Oregon State to win and all these, you know, things that they have now. Now, TJ, this year, they're dealing with that expectations monster. And I think, you know, while it may, I just look at it as a reason, not necessarily an excuse, this team and this program is learning under Jonathan Smith week in, week out, what it means to be, you know, a team that is actually in the mix for a Pac-12 title and pundits expect them to play that way week in, week out. Do you kind of get us a, a similar a similar notion? 
I guess it, like it's so hard for me to think about that because in the grand scheme of things, did you ever feel like the game was in doubt? No, I didn't. Okay. And I'd be that's, curious to, that's yeah. usually a good thing when, yeah. when it comes to I mean, evaluating to, a game. As, mu- it, as much I mean, as we can yeah. nitpick here and there, the Beavers did their job and then they only allowed nine points. Right. So when you say that, like, when you say that, yeah, like when you say that, like nine points, like even when I wrote my postgame story, I'm like, you can't, regardless of the yards or anything else, objectively, you can't be upset when your defense allows nine points. Like that, that's, that's objectively a good result. No. Nine points under five yards of play on offense, just 70 net rushing yards at an average of, of two, two over just over two yards a rush. For a team that's when it's most successful offensively, they run right. the football. You checked every you checked the boxes of what you wanted to eliminate from San Diego State. And that's what you did. On top of that, while they might have right. gotten some art yards through the air, we finally saw that defensive line really right. shine. It wasn't coming in blitz packages. It was coming when they had four defensive linemen lined up against five offensive linemen. Occasionally they would sprinkle a fifth one in there. And they would just win one-on-ones. And that's what you right. want to see. That's what makes defensive lines great. And that's what we'll, we'll preview it here This for this week is against this Cam Ward offense that passes a ton. You're going to need your disruptors on the defensive line, disrupting the passing game. And I thought they, they did it in that game. Right. And that's definitely the good, you, you know, you, you highlighted it exactly. I think the front seven were pretty solid in this game. And, you know, Jonathan Smith mentioned that on Monday, obviously being able to get, you know, pressure on the quarterback, being able to make things difficult, you know, and obviously Maiden being the runner that he was, I believe it was over seven yards of rush coming into the game. He was elusive. He was slippery. And I think that's definitely a good, a good prep for Cam Ward, who also is kind of a, you know, he's he's a bigger quarterback, you know, at over six foot, over 200 pounds, but can move pretty well. But, TJ, if we were going to talk about an area that absolutely needs to be better this week for Oregon State to win, it's that secondary. And particularly, you know, whether, you know, Cam Ward and Washington State can thrive on those drag routes, those slant routes, that crushed Oregon State. You know, again, like you said, you know, maybe it's in between the 20s or what have you. You know, they got the benefit of taking some points off the board late with that Achille Arnold interception because that would have likely been at least three points for San Diego State, if not, you know, a touchdown for where they were on that point in the field. Hard to say. But, you know, getting into that, if there is an area that I'm concerned about heading into this game, it's that because, you know, I know our brains are all conditioned towards that Mike Leach Washington State offense where it's, you know, firing those quick slants all day, you know, so on. Jake Dickert and, and Cam Ward, it's a different offense, but the crux of it is still the same. They are a passing attack far more than they are a running attack. Hence, Cam Ward is their leading rusher after three games. That should tell you where their running game is, and I believe he's their leading rusher with about 90 yards. So much different, but they're hitting it big time in that passing game, TJ. And, you know, I look back at this weekend, you know, looking at the snap counts, you know, that other, you know, I think, you know, Jaden Robinson obviously been playing well at that one corner, but and but I think the the key spot is to be in this game is how Trice Ivy or Jermod McCoy, those guys each got about equal run in that game against San Diego State. The pass coverage, in my opinion, needs to be tighter. Obviously, we knew going into the season with what they lost, that was going to be a work in progress and something that got better as the season went along. But this these Cougars, they're gonna challenge them this weekend. And if Oregon State is you know, if that secondary plays like they did against San Diego State, 
that's where I see some problems happening on the Palouse. Washington State is going to complete some passes. I mean, that's just the nature of their offense. They're sure. top whatever nationally and, and and pass play percentage. They throw it over 55% of the time. So, like, you're not going to eliminate that. But it's right. the type of pass plays that you allow. And overall, the, Be- the Beavers, for the most part, limited explosive pass plays against right. San Diego State. So if you limit the explosive pass plays against Washington State as well, I think you'll be okay. I thought it was interesting. I thought it might. It was probably a mix of of miscommunication on some of these under routes against San Diego State. Occasionally, it was just you know lining up in man coverage, and when you're running a, cro- a route across the field in man coverage, right. it's pretty hard to defend. It's a, it's a man beater because yeah. you're using the space of the field to manipulate yourself open, and that just happens. Right. So it's going to be interesting, and I think this offense is going to be very much different than anything they've seen so far this season. 27-year-old offensive coordinator, Ben Arbuckle yeah. of Washington State. Brennan, how does that make you feel? You you are the same age as now as a Power 5 offensive coordinator. You've made it, buddy. You've not you the players yeah, now, and my, now you're into the coaching ranks. Um, my comment to that, and I did not know how young uh, Ben Arbuckle was, but uh, just initial reaction to that – Maybe I should have got into coaching and uh, and uh, tried to get a graduate assistantship that I could have worked my way up. No, I mean I uh, you know I, I'm far more qualified to uh, talk about football and analyze it than uh, design up plays and all that. But you know it's it's definitely interesting because you know Jake Dickert's side of the ball, you know the side of the ball that he's you know hung his hat on has been defense obviously gets hired as their defensive coordinator uh, under uh, Nick Rolovich and you know that whole situation parlays we don't need to get into all that but you know long story short you know he ends up getting the job and you know they roll with it but you know I I think um, I think it's interesting because Washington State's been explosive I mean you mentioned the passing attack you know I I get that they're uh, you know more of a passing game than a running game but still over 530 yards total offense per game Uh, you know their games their their matchups with Colorado State Wisconsin and Northern Colorado I mean in my opinion I think that Wisconsin's the best team out of that mix. Hard to say on Colorado State because that was a wacky game on Saturday night, and I don't know how good Colorado State is. I don't know how good Colorado is. Therefore, I don't know how good Washington State is. So that's going to have to flesh itself out in conference play, uh, TJ. I feel like you and I could do a whole podcast. Like Colorado week, I think you and I will be able to do like three podcasts worth of bulletin board material. So all that aside – yeah, that, that's going to be a fascinating week of media because, like, are people still going to be talking about Dion as much that week? I don't know. We'll see how uh, they do this weekend. Well, as they are now. Eugene. Because it's, you know, people like he is, I mean, he's headline on first take, right. on it's Pat incredible. McAfee, on, I mean, here we it's are incredible. on the Oregon State, Washington State podcast talking about Dion Sanders, Brendan. I mean, that's like, yeah. Well, and here's the here's the most fascinating thing that I will leave with this. We'll do a quick little uh, a, a quick little sidebar on this. This got posed to me by my host Justin Myers on Rip City Mornings this morning. I had to mention it. If Colorado hired Deion Sanders two years earlier, a year earlier, does his impact give the Pac-12 a media deal? And I that is a fascinating question. Absolutely fascinating. Does it give so, them a media? Does so? Does it give them a media deal? It gives them an offer. The question right. is, do they accept it? Because we know and, 
as, as we know, Brendan, with all the, the details that have come out, there have been offers. Right. Just the the brain trust for some reason uh, turns Rejected the offers it. down yep. thinking they can do better. So, right. yes. And maybe what like he might increase the value. I don't know. It's more than you dollars, think, 30, 30 to $35 million per se, right. something like that. Right. But yeah. I mean, in the end, it it, was... like in the end, they're like, there's still something on the other side that needs to happen to, to, to make it, uh, to make it all. Clear. Oh, sure. I mean, I just like, like you said, like the fact that ESPN was probably, you know, still one of the leaders in that clubhouse. And like you said, I haven't been able to turn on it again. If you turn on ESPN folks, you think Colorado is the only team in college football. Like it's all the NFL and then Colorado. So, you know, like it's, it's, you know, uh, like I said, different conversation for a different day, but just had to mention that as we were kind of looking in, but with all that to be said, you know, kind of putting a bow tie on Oregon state's matchup with San Diego state, TJ, do you think it's beneficial to the Beavers that they had a game like San Diego state where things didn't quite go right compared to Washington state who really, you know, Wisconsin, maybe a little bit, hasn't hit a big time speed bump yeah it is good you you need bad tape because otherwise you don't know what you do wrong and the like the defenses are different because washington like washington state's power five and they're a good defense they have a a number of 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 strengths on that defense but particularly on the edge yeah like on the edge and that wasn't really san diego state's game san diego state's game was uh physicality and uh, physicality and turning the football over for the sure. most part. They Washington yeah. State's strength is those two edge guys. So you needed you you needed to show that you could struggle against the defense. So you know where potential weaknesses on this offense could be. When this Oregon State offense clicks, I mean, you don't really think sure. there's a weakness. You think the tight end group is strong. You think the running backs are the best in the conference. You think your quarterback is a star. You think your wide receivers are criminally underrated nationally and are explosive <laughs> like we saw, right? They're like, I'm, di- I'm not naming any weaknesses, but you need to find that like, hey, it's right. not all roses out here. You need to, you need, like not everything's going to work and you'll have to adapt. And that's what Oregon State did. Despite a lot of things not working, they bust out a few explosive plays versus San Diego State and they realize we can still make this work. So yeah, I think so. Yeah. And with that, I think it was, you know, a couple of things that I think were good leading into this week, uh, you know, kind of, again, putting a bow tie on San Diego State. I think it was good for DJ to experience a little bit of adversity, especially after the fact that, you know, UC Davis was interesting having game two, like not that DJ wasn't used to it being at Clemson, they were in some routes, but I think that kind of was interesting, you know, having that UC Davis game where he just flat out did not play in the second half. And then against San Jose State, where, you know, I think that was his best game as far as just looking in complete control of the offense and to your extent I think I think it's a combination of both going back to what you mentioned about DJ and the pass protection I think there was some pass protection issues yes but I also think DJ needs to be a little bit better at getting the ball out and knowing what his hot reads were and so on you know DJ's not a a freshman quarterback out there I mean you look back at like you know last midseason like with Ben Gobranson when he came in we're like you know, there's going to be some growing pains for the fact that he has not been a starting quarterback at the collegiate level. And that was just going to be what it was. DJ coming in with what he has, he's experienced extreme highs and extreme lows kind of already, you know, as far as maybe not like low as far as like the opponent, like playing a lower tier opponent, but like the lows of like getting benched by a national program. 
Like yeah. that's an all time low. Right. And he's also, you know, quarterbacks his teams to big time wins too. So I think him experiencing a little adversity will kind of light a fire under him and kind of get him prep, prepped for this week. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Makaya tongue uh, yeah. lost for the year uh, due to, you know, leg knee injury, not entirely sure, you know, if you ever seen get into specifics other than just saying he wasn't going to play again this year, but TJ, he was the guy that you and I loved throughout fall camp had really come into his own inside linebacker. And while Bieber fans might look and say, Hey, you know, it's not a starter that they lost. Micaiah was huge on special teams. And I remember week, you know, within the first week of fall camp, TJ, you put in your practice reports, you know, his instinct for playing the position was terrific. And, you know, I, I think the Beavers have some great uh, young guys in Melvin Jordan, Isaiah Chisholm, and maybe even Cord Shaw to an extent to kind of step into that, that, um, that mix. But, you know, it, is still a significant loss. And obviously, you know, that's, that's going to lead into Oregon state's kind of defensive rotations behind Calvin Hart and Easton Mascarenas looking a little bit different this weekend. Even with him not starting, he still played a lot. He was still right. crucial for rotating in there on certain downs yes, when they needed him. It's good thing Calvin Hart's back and healthy. We talked to him yeah. today, which was uh, which was good to hear. But you know, they that's it's gonna it's gonna really stretch the depth here. And it, I, I don't know where it affects the Beavers the most if they feel like the the strength would be in the run game or in the uh, defending against the pass. But regardless, I mean, you're losing a real really good athlete there at the linebacker position that we'll, we'll see. And, you know, Washington state, again, they, they, you utilize all parts of the field with their offense. I'd be curious to see how much, how much that will affect the Oregon state defense. So yeah, it's a, it's a huge loss and, and bummer for him finally finding a home, like on a position, unable to crack the depth chart for a wide receiver flips the defense playing well, playing a lot. And all of a sudden, boom, just like that season's over. Yeah, it's de- I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you know, it's 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 a brutal loss. And, you know, that that was definitely the bummer news of this of the post San Diego State game, excuse me. Uh, but a couple other injury updates for us to kind of get into as we kind of uh, prepare for the break and get ready to uh, welcome on our, our, our guests this week uh, over from the Wazoo Watch, our sister site up there in Pullman. Uh, you know, we mentioned, obviously, Micaiah Tung being out. John Miller, who was another inside linebacker who, you know, was kind of right there in that mix and, you know, near starter level before uh, Calvin Hart ultimately won that job out of fall camp. He didn't play uh, against San Diego State. Jonathan Smith said his status is unclear for this weekend. You know, they're, they're hopeful, but waiting to see how he feels. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Also didn't see Josiah Irish uh, against uh, San Diego State either. Jeremiah Noga got the start in his place. And Real quickly, TJ, uh, saw it uh, uh, this uh, today and got posted on the damn board. Jeremiah Noga earned a scholarship this week. Jonathan That's Smith awesome. did the video and just got to give him credit. You know, it uh, as as just an observer from the outside, I couldn't imagine. You know, the the even further due diligence required being a non scholarship athlete uh, and you know expected to do everything that a scholarship athlete does. Uh, just wanted to give a shout out to Jeremiah Noga uh, for earning that scholarship. But obviously, you know, Jeremiah Noga been playing well, but the Beavers would like to have Josiah Irish back. Uh, his status will also be determined throughout the week. And uh, perhaps uh, uh, on the defensive side, also importantly, Ryan Cooper Jr. Uh, got banged up in that game. And we actually saw him, uh, you know, on the uh, on the cart, you know, leaving post game. 
Good news is, talking to Jonathan Smith, it was just a minor kind of tweak thing, nothing serious, which, again, given the secondary that we talked about earlier and how they're still putting the pieces together, having a guy like Coop is extremely important, and he's another guy they're going to be watching. I mean, TJ, do you think these injuries and whether or not some of these guys can or cannot go could impact whether or not Oregon State's able to get the win or not? I think Coop is probably a guy you want. I mean, he's a he's a now a second-year starter, yeah, and you you need all the as we're sitting here saying the secondary needs to play better. Well, it helps if they have a guy like Ryan Cooper in the second. Right. So we're we'll have to see. Yeah, I don't that that's probably the one I'd be looking at the most. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how those in, how those uh, injuries ultimately end up, uh, you know, flushing themselves out by the end of the week. It's always uh, always you know interesting to see how you know little tweaks and all that kind of stuff works out. So. That'll be something to keep an eye on, obviously, this week. And we'll have the latest injury report at beaversedge.com ahead of the matchup. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, break from, uh, take our first break here on the podcast. Uh, we'll be back here shortly uh, with our interview with uh, wazoowatch.com. We'll be pre- further previewing uh, the matchup with Washington State. Stay tuned. Welcoming you back into the Edge podcast, publisher Brendan Slaughter here for beaversedge.com. Joined, as always, by KEGO radio host and Beaver's Edge writer TJ Matthewson, and also joined by Wazoo Roch beat reporter Korea Pounds joining us here on the podcast. Korea, thanks so much for joining us, man, to talk a little bit about the Cougs this weekend. Big-time matchup. How you doing, man? You know, I'm doing great. Thanks, you guys, for the invitation. You know, I'm really excited for, you know, another big matchup. Obviously, with everything going on, you know, top 25 matchup, you know, obviously the Beavers, great team defensively, and the Cougs, obviously, another great team defensively. So I'm just excited for a good matchup on Saturday. Under the bright lights, nationally telecasted for, you know, obviously certain reasons, as we'll get into later. But, you know, just excited for a great game this weekend and uh, another great meeting between uh, these two schools. Absolutely. And again, thanks for joining us here on the podcast to get a good uh, a good angle on Washington State and uh, got to uh, give our sister site uh, a shout out up there in Pullman. Uh, I'm curious for you, Korea, just kind of starting a little bit just with kind of the vibes. You know, I know you and I are working on an article that will be working uh, on both of our websites this week, kind of talking about some bigger picture stuff and kind of want to tease that because it's going to be great. Make sure to check out uh, that at Beaver's Edge and WazooWatch.com. But uh, I'm kind of curious, what's the vibe up in Pullman right now? And, you know, kind of like Corvallis, is there kind of an optimism about the season, but a little bit of a kind of cloud over what the future is going to hold? Yeah, I mean, Brendan, you couldn't have explained it pretty more accurately than you just did. I mean, up in Pullman, uh, as soon as the note, as soon as the news broke out, you, you kind of felt like a certain uh, weight, you know, dr- uh, drop. Uh, on the on the on the program uh and it was a lot of confusion a lot of you know what's going to go happen what's going to happen this year what's going to happen for the future you know a lot of questions uh and a lot of heavy hearts because you know obviously you know obviously you know we talked about our article which we'll be previewing hopefully tomorrow uh make sure to check that out once again on beaver's edge and watch and watch but um it's it's been a it's been a fun season at the same time a season with a little bit of sadness just because, you know, a lot of people sure, are saying sure. this maybe, you know, the last season, you know, for, you know, both of our schools, you know, in this Pac-12 and now down to the Pac-2 and, you know, obviously with this obviously pending lawsuit going on with, uh, you know, potentially trying to block, you know, all the other teams from getting money uh, for leaving uh, us in the dust pretty much, you know, it's just been, it's been a really interesting vibe. It's been up and down, obviously a lot of people, you know, coming out this season and, you know, we've already sold out one game against Wisconsin, which was an amazing ball game. 
Uh, and then now, obviously, with our game Saturday, nearing a sellout again, and it just kind of shows, you know, the dedication that, you know, Kook fans all over are embracing this kind of not last season mentality, but, you know, uh, and the fact that they're already back in the top 25, you know, obviously we weren't even pre, uh, preseason right to be nowhere sure. near the top 25. And the way they have looked through camp, connecting to the first three games of the season, you know, it's pretty evident that this team is really trying to make a statement. And I know down in Corvallis, you guys are doing the same thing over there. And that's pretty much been the mentality, trying to make a statement to the college football world that, hey, we're here and we can play at this level. And don't you dare disrespect our name. That is the complete vibe now versus what it was, you know, pretty much a little bit about a month ago when it was a lot sure. of, oh, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen, you know? No, and I think that's, you know, perfectly said. TJ, go for it. No, I was, I was going to say, so you mentioned Korea, one of, the, one of those guys on, on Wazoo who's making that statement towards the country and everyone else and one of the real you know engineers of this program over the last two seasons has been cam ward what's been his what's been his biggest step this year i mean he's he's come out he's got over 100 pass attempts without an interception he looks good in the new offense washington state's averaging over 48 points a game what's been the big difference maker for him so far i think it just is comfortability you see the way he plays last year, you know, obviously it was his first year in uh, the FBS level coming from incarnate ward at the FCS level, you know, it's a big transition and, you know, sure, uh, sure. a lot bit of a bigger, you know, brighter lights, obviously for his second game, he had to go to camp Randall uh, and play Wisconsin. And that's one of the biggest stadiums in you know, college football. And, you know, that's obviously a lot of emotions, a lot of nerves hanging in. And, you know, you could definitely see that throughout the first season while he was playing under, you know, uh, OC Eric Morrison, his, uh, wouldn't say stale, but, you know, different offense uh, compared to Ben Arbuckle. And it's kind of like night and day when you see it um, throughout the season. You know, first three games, you know, he's already on the Heisman watch. We've already seen this. We I already talked about it a little bit um, in, uh, in Brendan's article that he asked me about. You know, last year we, had, we saw some highlights, you know, that game against Oregon, you know, where he, you know, scrambled out and had the little toss pass and it was caught and ran. We go, you know, we've seen some some magician-like, you know, plays from Cam Ward. And that's kind of been, you know, the big reason as to why he's been on that, you know, dark horse Heisman watch. Because, you know, we've seen it at Incarnate Ward, but, you know, just like a little bit of a transition. And now this year with Arbuckle and his, you know, air raid-like offense, you know, it pretty much is night day and now cam ward looks a lot more com uh, comfortable you see him making great throws that's been that's been the biggest thing stepping up in the pocket because he's usually tired to scramble out and you know try to make a play out of nothing but instead he's steady is and he's more confident in the pocket i say that's been the biggest thing just him being able to stay in the pocket and if pressure comes in he's able to step up or even with uh, him being technically the leading rusher for Wazoo, you know, him on those design runs. And that's been kind of the strategy with having him, you know, with this dual threat ability to run the ball and, you know, make defense shuffle a little bit. That's kind of been the biggest step, just his confidence in the pocket and his confidence with the ball. Because last year we saw some uh, some bad turnovers uh, with Cam Ward that you would just shake your head and like, you, you, man, it's a, it's a freshman mistake. It's a rookie mistake. But now you really don't see many of those. It's just a lot more comfortable and a lot more comfortable at the FBS level, I'd say. 
And a big sure. help to that is also the is a rebuild offensive line too. Yeah, I mean the offensive line was not a big problem last year, but it was a secondary problem because of all the penalties the offensive line would rack up. We would always be Cougars would always be starting out, you know, first and 20, first and 15, you know, mm. getting behind the change. And that was the biggest issue with this offense last year. They would always get behind the change and be starting at first and 20, 25 instead of a first and 10. And, you know, when you're getting behind the change, you're not going to be making that many first downs. So, you know, that was the biggest problem. And now it's with this year, you know, with how this offensive line looks now, you know, obviously, uh, at first, we've seen uh, for Wazoo, Connor Gomez, our center, uh, the center for the Cougs. You know, we've seen a little bit of a uh, little bit of a shaky start with uh, his snap ability. Uh, out, uh, with him, I don't know if you guys saw, but I think in the Colorado State game, he had three uh, fumbled snaps that mm. were a little too low, and it you know it was just a little bit of a miscommunication. And you know we saw it in week two, there were a couple snaps where you know they were a little too low, so that's kind of been the big issue this season, just uh, at, with the offensive line, as well as the run game, because the run game has pretty much been in existence for the Cougs. But at the same time, you know, with the matchups the Cougs have had, you know, they've kind of been beneficial through the air because the matchups are better, you know, with the secondary and the Cougs uh, wide receivers, you know, can move and beat those guys in those slot routes, especially, you know, Lincoln Victor, uh, you know, great story for him out of Maui, obviously. And, you know, prayers out to him and his family, obviously, uh, in Maui. But just how this offense has looked throughout the first three games has just been because those matchups, you know, with the secondary with Wisconsin versus the run defense has been a lot sure. better with the offensive line. So it's a, it's a little bit of an improvement at the same time. They're still, you know, working out those early season, you know, troubles uh, throughout the first three games of the non-conference slate. Something that TJ told me when we were recording the earlier part of our podcast today, Korea, he mentioned that Arbuckle's 27 years old. Got to be one of the youngest coaches you've ever seen, right? Especially coordinators, nonetheless. I mean, that dude's three years older than me. I mean, that's <laughs> that's just crazy to see. But, I mean, with Arbuckle, the way his offense looked, you know, as the QB's coach and, you know, slash offensive corner at Western Kentucky last year, he developed Austin Reed, you know, who was a decent quarterback and made him, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in terms of throwing the ball last year. And, you know, now we see with Cam Ward at the power five level and look, amazing story for Arbuckle. You know, he has really embraced, you know, this coup culture. We see him on the sidelines, you know, wearing the, the swagged out wazoo hats all the time and everyone's saying, you know, we want one, we need one. And, you know, he just has embraced the coup culture so much uh, throughout his quick time here and amazing offense. He's running so far, obviously Cam Ward, you know, in the Heisman conversation, number seven total offense in the country so far with, I mean, and that's without a, you know, a fully developed run game. And that has been the missing piece for this offense uh, but I feel like now that we get into the Pac-12 season, you know, with, you know, heavy uh, defenses in terms of, you know, what the secondary looks like for some teams and obviously what's up front, um, now with the run game potentially being more needed, you know, it's kind of, you know, the missing piece of the puzzle that could maybe turn this offense up a little more. But amazing story for Arbuckle. Just, I mean, it's crazy. People, I mean, he is the youngest Power 5 coordinator in the game right now and that's crazy and look what he's yeah. doing 
He's, he's putting up a top seven offense through the first three games of the season. And now, mind you, yes, one of them was an FCS school against Northern Colorado. Uh, but, I mean, you can't you can't discredit Colorado State after what we just saw on Saturday night against Colorado. Sure. And then Wisconsin, obviously, one of the best um, – offensive attacks in the in the in the in terms of the running game and they just brought in Tanner Mordecai from SMU and they obviously just brought in Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. So if there's offense all around and Ben and Ben Arbuckle has been able to withhold himself and take that challenge and now leading one of the best offenses surprisingly in the Pac 12, Wazoo, who was ranked near the bottom uh just a season ago. I'm curious uh, also, you mentioned the running game a little bit. Are you surprised that Nikia Watson's kind of had the slow start to the season that he has, or does that kind of go with what you mentioned with facing some tough run defenses and going along with that with Oregon State having a good run defense? Does Washington State think they need to or even care to run the ball against Oregon State, or will it be all on Cam Ward's arm this weekend? Yeah, I feel like with the matchups earlier about the season, you know, Wisconsin knowing to have a pretty steady run defense, and then obviously Colorado State, you know, trying to stop the run. We've seen it against Colorado as well. But, you know, we saw a little bit of a spurt of it against Northern Colorado because they have uh, one of the worst run defenses in the FCS uh, right now. They allowed, I think, almost 200 yards a game. And, you know, we saw a little bit of it with Wazoo totaling 718. Yeah, that's right, 718 total yards of offense last week, which was – unbelievable to see uh but you know i feel like now that we're facing obviously a great run defense as well i feel like we're going to start to see a little bit more of spurts of nikia watson um it's been interesting because you know jake dickard our head coach obviously he's been hammering we need to run the ball and i feel like it's partly yes obviously this run this offense should be led through the run and we've seen what nikia watson can do when he becomes more explosive but that goes back to the offensive line when I brought up earlier, uh, you know, just not winning the battle in the trenches. That's been a big issue as well. They've been uh, not winning the battle up front and, you know, all, all those gaps that Nakia usually would go through, they're getting filled up. And, you know, he's not really getting that explosive ability, you know, to break out. And that's really been the big issue so far. So part of it is the offense, you know, in terms of, what the matchup is in terms of better run defenses. Part of it is also, you know, this offensive line, you know, really not doing the best to their ability to fill, to wide, to widen those gaps so that Nikia Watson can break out. So it's a lot of, you know, interesting factors, but I feel after last week's game against uh, Northern Colorado, that this run offense is finally starting to get themselves under their own foot, no pun intended. And I think we finally may see some, uh, some of the run, uh, on Saturday, and it's not just design runs for Cam Ward. Uh, obviously, we probably will see some of those because I love, um, I think Ben Arbuckle, you know, is doing a really good job at strategically, you know, p- placing his QB runs when it's with Cam Ward or or even John Matier. We've seen a, we've seen some runs for John Matier throughout the first few games where it's designed and he can, you know, break out of that building. He has that speed on the ground, but we've also saw last week in tier his ability to throw. And, you know, I feel like he is definitely approaching Cam Ward a little more, but, you know, Cam Ward is just on a different level. But I feel like with this run offense, it has definitely been the biggest missing piece. And I feel like now we are starting to see a lot more of it and hopefully you see some more uh, on Saturday against a really good run defense in, in the Beavers.
Let's go over to the other side of the ball. We know the matchup that everyone's going to be looking at. It's going to be the two edge rushers, Ron Stone and Brendan Jackson versus Joshua Gray and Talisi Fuaga on the other side for Oregon State. Best One of the best offensive lines in the country against a defensive line that's been pretty good this season, especially with those two edge guys for Washington State. Is there another matchup you're looking at besides those two uh, for the Washington State defense against the Oregon State offense? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hammered my main one. It's just that offensive line of Oregon State, one of the best in the country. We've seen it uh, in spurts this season. Obviously, there was a highlight I think I saw in that San Jose State game where, you know, Uloeli had almost all day in that pocket. He was almost building a house back there, for God's <laughs> sake. And, you know, we see what this defense can do. And obviously – when uh, Brandon Jackson said it a few weeks ago, uh, before the Wisconsin game, he said, if you're going to come to Pullman, you have to play hard. And Wisconsin, obviously, known for their offensive line and protecting, letting Braylon yeah. Allen and Chesner Lucy get through those gaps. Wazoo shut that down. 19 rushing, 19 carries, 69 total yards for the Badgers on that afternoon, or evening, I should say. So other than the, uh, over in the upfront battle in the trenches, um, I want to see what the secondary can do because obviously we've seen spurts of what Ugalele can do, and he is talented. Obviously, five-star recruit went to Clemson, then transferred over uh, to Oregon State, and moving up to Corvallis. You know, we're going to see a different offense that we saw last year because the Cougars, obviously, last year uh, we we kind of we knew coming into that game in Corvallis that it was going to be a lot run heavy with Damian Martinez, very talented back. Obviously, one of the I mean, eight he's averaging nine yards a carry this year he's very talented so we know what the matchup's going to be but now that ukulele is coming in i think the secondary you know with what Jaden hicks is doing this year he is having an amazing year up in pullman i mean i've seen him and i've been comparing him to jamal adams of the seattle seahawks and that's mm. just not being me a homer because i'm a seahawks fan but when you <laughs> see him you know he's at the line you know he can get he can get to the quarterback and then when he's in the secondary you know he reads so well and that's been a big improvement so i want to see what the secondary can do you know, reading a great talent in Ugalele because, you know, the Cougars have faced, you know, not the greatest quarterback opposition, the best one being probably Tanner Mordecai. But now that they're facing a talented one, I think this, I think the secondary is going to be a little bit interesting to see what they can do against a talent in Ugalele on Saturday. No, that's a good point. And, you know, to, uh, to mention that, uh, you and uh, you and TJ might have to get together and talk some Hawks sometime. You got TJ over here, a big time <laughs> Hawks fan too. Hey, TJ, go Hawks, man! We got a big game on Sat on Sunday. You know, we need another yeah, win, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was <laughs> no, good last Sunday too. It was nice to see him uh, see him turn it around. Oh yeah, but yeah. Exactly. Going back to your going back to your point, uh, Korea uh, on the defense. You know, great great analysis of the defense. They're kind of building on that a little bit in a more general sense. Uh, you know, obviously from your interviews and, and talking to Washington State this week what have kind of been the themes that they've kind of talked about with Oregon State what's kind of been something coach Dickert's mentioned or maybe any of the players like what stands out to the players about Oregon State the big number is 8.8 and that 8.8 is how many yards per carry Damian Martinez is averaging and that is a number that the Cougars want to limit as much as possible we know what the matchup is going to be obviously we mentioned it just before you know in the trenches that are that Oregon State offensive line that can make holes for Martinez to run through and the Cougars up front as well as those those linebackers in Kyle Thornton and Devin Richardson who love to play physical football as well and that's been the big message defensively just making sure that the run is stopped because 
Last year, we saw Martinez just run right through this defense, uh, putting up many, many yards uh, on the on the evening against the Cougars and Corvallis. And they don't want to see another similar side in Pullman on, on Saturday night. That's been the main uh, attack offensively. But as well, you know, seeing how we can limit Ugalili in the air as well. We've seen how talented he is. He makes some good throws. Obviously, last week, a little bit of a rusty week. But, you know, in the end, when you have Damian Martinez rushing for that many yards, it, it doesn't really doesn't really matter. So uh, just pretty much making sure that we can stop the run as much as possible because then we can keep ourselves in this game. This offensive attack we know is definitely one of the best in the Pac-12 in terms of the run. And Martina is going to be a, a running back candidate of the week almost every week. And off, and defensively, we know we can stop the run. We did it against Wisconsin, and we've done it against Colorado State and Northern Colorado in back-to-back weeks. But we are suspended to the big play. And the big play happens many, many times for the Cougs in terms of, you know, a, a little run that can be 11 and 12 yards, turn into an 89-yard run up the field. And we know Demi Martinez is definitely capable of that ability with his breakout speed. So we have to limit the big plays as much as possible and just stopping the run, but also making sure that we're not giving up the big plays over the top with you lately in his arm. Question kind of for both of you guys. We'll let TJ kind of do the Oregon State perspective and Korea over in Washington State. Do you guys think that the offense that is able to be the most at home, the most in their shoes, in their comfort zone, will be the winner of this contest? We'll start with you, TJ. I think it mostly comes down to not only the performance of the quarterback, but we think this Oregon State offense is they're playing on the road for the first time this season in a hostile environment. It's going to be loud. It's going to be rowdy. They're like, there's going to be the most noise they face this season. I, I sure. compared the San Jose State crowd to a brunch crowd. It was quiet, <laughs> relaxed. People had a little alcohol in their system, but not too much. So it was kind of a uh, kind of an odd, odd first environment. But this is a real college football environment they're walking into on Saturday. So you got to wonder, so how's the communication going to be? How are the, how are the penalties going to be on offense? Are they staying on script? I would say, is Damian Martinez going to run? Yeah, he's going to run. He's, they're probably going to do pretty well, even if it's not 8.8 yards per carry, they've managed to, to pretty much bowl over whoever they've wanted so far this season. And then again, can they do enough through the air? It doesn't need to be great. It just needs to be enough. That's that was the the sentiment when when DJ came in. It's like, hey, we need to do enough through the air. We need enough on all three levels. And now DJ is going to be facing his toughest competition. So yeah, I mean, Oregon State's offense does need to be on script. They abs- they absolutely need to be due in, in that summary. Korea for the Cougs, it feels like you know they need to be on script, but at the same time, they kind of don't with this run offense that has been a little bit of a struggle at the beginning. You know, we've talked about it before, just with Cam Ward being the lead rusher and Jake Dicker saying, we cannot let that happen. And now facing a great run defense, you know, it feels like they're going to make an adjustment with the run, but at the same time, not because of how much success they have had through the air. And, And that is going to be one of the more interesting offensive attacks, I feel like, you know, with how talented this receiving core is with, with Kyle Williams. And we saw Josh Kelly uh, last week have a, a, a moss-like catch, almost mossing a guy. And Lincoln mm-hmm. Victor in the slot. That's been 
Cam Ward's favorite target all season. He's been racking up the receptions last week, six six receptions, 119 yards in the touchdown. I think the week before, I think he had like, I think double digits, I think 12 or 13 uh, against Wisconsin. Just being that X factor for him. And we saw it last year when uh, Robert Farrell, who was in the slot, um, for the for uh, for the Cougs last year, he was one of Cam Ward's favorite targets. You know, that kind of down the stretch, and now that's being linked to Victor because he's in that slot position. So if the Cougs' offense is going to be what it's been in terms of the past, then I feel like that's going to be what the script is. But at the same time, you know, adding that run offense and not letting it, you know, be just a carry of one and winning that battle at, up front at the line is definitely going to be a huge help for this Cougs' offense against a great Beavers' run defense. Oregon State, Washington State uh, set to uh, kick off at Martin Stadium, 4 p.m. Saturday on Fox. Oregon State enters right now as of Wednesday, recording this podcast, a three-point favorite. The over-under in the matchup is 58-and-a-half. Uh, Korea, where, how do you think this matchup is going to shake out in your mind? Uh, we don't have to give predictions this you know this far out unless you want to, obviously, but just how do you think the script of this game will fall out, and then we'll let TJ go ahead and follow after you. Yeah, I think that over-under, honestly, is pretty high. I think this is going to be a very defensive game. You know, we talk about these two run defenses, you know, with Oregon State and how they can stop the run immediately. But, you know, then we've also seen Cam Ward start a little slowish and, you know, kind of get himself under his own feet. But this year, it's a completely different version. It's more of them setting the tone early. And I, I just don't know which – Coog offense we're going to get now that they're facing a top talented defense versus, you know, obviously the Wisconsin defense pretty much being their toughest opponent as well as Colorado State on the run. But I think this game is going to be a very, very defensive minded battle, uh, especially uh, on the ground. I'm interested to see what's going to happen in the air. Uh, I think it's going to go uh, personally, if that if that's the, if that's the over under, I think this game may go under, honestly, I think this may be a very low scoring, you know, very battle in the trenches affair, you know, with both of these teams, obviously kind of first game. I, I even alluded it into, into your article, Brendan, about, you know, how this is the first game, first real game for both of these teams in the pac 12, you know, obviously with a lot of emotions and a lot of meaning of, for this game as well. Uh, I think this is going to be a very de- defensive game, and I like this game going, you know, pretty under. I don't. I think this is a like a 24-21 type ball game. You know, maybe a last second field goal by either team. I still don't know uh, <laughs> who's gonna who's gonna win this game. I've been going back and forth with just how the defenses look, and you know, which Cam Ward we're gonna get in this first conference game of the season. Now with another year, because. Was it was in this similar spot last year? You know, they were three and zero. You know, they were just outside of the top twenty-five at the time, but they had a ranked opponent coming in in Oregon where they looked great, and then obviously that collapse in the second half happened, ending in the loss. And you know, we and you know we don't know which Cam Ward we're going to get this year uh, with an offense stalled last year. Hopefully not this year. Uh, I think, although with with that, I think this is going to be a very defensive game. Um, you know me, I'm going to go with my Cougs. Uh, I don't know what the score is, but I'm thinking in that like 24, 21, very low scoring defensive minded game. Um, and I think this game is just going to be one of the classics, uh, in, in Pullman. I think this is going to be one of the greatest games. Honestly, I think this may be a great game just because of everything that's going on with this game. You know, we talked, I talked about earlier with, you know, old Beeb and old Crimson now being in unison at college game day with mm. the story, with 
just the the fan bases uniting, just everything that is maddened with this game. But both teams being ranked, you know, for the first time in a long time at the same time in right. this battle. I think I think the offense has come out a little slow uh, to start out adjusting to that better level of play. And I think the defense has capitalized on that. I think this is going to be a low scoring game, but I'm, of course, I'm going to pick my Cougs in the end, maybe 24, 21, maybe even like a 2017, 21, 20, somewhere in that range, very low scoring. TJ, how about you? If it does come down to a battle of the trenches, it's just hard not to pick Oregon State in this game. You think about it, they're going to have the advantage at the line of scrimmage in pretty much any game they play this season, especially with their offensive line out there on the field. So, like, if as long as DJ is not making mistakes, I have a hard time seeing Oregon State at least being in a spot where they're disadvantaged. I, I think they're going to be in a spot to win this game, and I think they're, they're going to come through and win this game. I think there's there's too much talent at the skill positions, and I think they're just too fortified along the most important positions on the football field, along the offensive and defensive lines, at running back and at quarterback as well. And, of course, you know, Brennan, this hasn't even come up yet. How is Atticus Sappington going to kick on the road in a hostile environment? Haven't, haven't really point. seen that yet. We mentioned of like, hey, hitting the ceiling for Oregon State this season, you got to make all your kicks when it matters most. Atticus was pretty good. He did really shank one against San Diego State, but now he's going to be on the road in a hostile environment and a game that Vegas thinks is going to be close. It might come down to his right leg. Is he going to make the kick? Well, I don't know. Yeah, you we'll know, see. that's a good question. I, I'm pick, I would pick Oregon State. I'd pick, I'd pick them by the spread by three. Yeah, you know, kind of in between the two of you guys there, I mean, I – I think it's one of those things, and this is where I think, I think the higher scoring it is favors Washington State more. The lower scoring it is favors Oregon State a little bit more. And I think that's just kind of based on what I, going back to my question that I posed to you guys, I just, I, I really do think whichever offense is more at home is going to be controlling tempo and therefore keeping the other offense on the sideline, whether that's, you know, Oregon State and Damian Martinez keeping Cam Ward on the sideline or Cam Ward and company keeping DJ and Damian Martinez on the sideline. I really do think that's going to be the key in this game. You know, it, it, it's, it's a tough one, right? I mean, Vegas has it as three-point line as for what it is. Um, you know, I, I, I do think Oregon State has a slight edge in this advantage kind of or in this matchup entering the week. But I really do think this could be a pick em type game where it could honestly come down to the last second kind of field goal. I do expect it to be within a three to seven point margin. And the difference for me is going to be turnovers. Does Cam Ward turn the ball over more or does DJU or Oregon State's offense turn the ball over? So I think that's ultimately going to be how that shakes itself out. And, you know, bottom line, fellas, it's going to be a great game between, you know, two teams who, you know, for all the reasons we talked about, are just really determined to show everyone that they matter this year. And this is the first kind of Pac-12 game to be able to do that. These are the quote-unquote two-pack left. And I think both of them have a burning desire to win the conference in the final year. Now, with that being said, are you out of the conference race with one loss? No, but one loss in week one, you've got a lot of work to do over the next eight to uh, make that Pac-12 title game and maybe even get some help depending on how things shake out 
So all that to be said, I think it's going to be a massive game uh, for the two teams. And, you know, big thanks to Korea Pounds for joining us here on the Edge podcast, man. It was awesome catching up with you. And uh, 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 wish I was heading up to Pullman to be able to uh, make your acquaintance this weekend. But uh, hold it down for us up there and uh, make sure to uh, have some of that Cougar gold while, we're, while you're up there. Oh, you know I will. Cougar gold is definitely going to be on the to-do list. I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for inviting me. You know, obviously, you know, with everything going on in this game, you know, we just I just want to, you know, send my thank yous uh, to you guys down in Corvallis just for the invite. And obviously, with just everything going on, you know, obviously, Pack 2 you know, it's us and us versus the world right now and in unison. And I even heard that potentially, you know, Cougs and Beeves are going to be on the field, you know, in unison together after the game, potentially. And like a little bit of a statement saying, hey, we're here. And you mentioned it, you know, one loss. Uh, week one to either one of these teams is going to be tough, especially in this loaded conference yeah. with all these teams in the top 25. You know, next week, you're probably going to be playing one of those teams and, you know, either on the road or at home. And that's going to be in a tough environment, you know, tough game. So, you know, it's it's tough that, you know, we don't want either team to lose, but unfortunately one is going to have to. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we're both going to be in use together. And I just send my thank yous and, you know, obviously – I got to come down to Corvallis one day. I've heard, I've seen the improvement of research. That looks beautiful. I got a friend of mine who is a big Beaver fan. You know, he has been telling me about it. I got to check it out, but I will definitely eat some Cougar gold for you guys. (laughs) Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Uh, Anything else you want to add TJ? No, I'm good. Thanks again, Korea. Yeah, all right. Well, thanks again to Korea Pounds for joining us uh, on this edition of the Edge podcast. Make sure to stay tuned to beaversedge.com and wazoowatch.com. As uh, Korea mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've got some awesome dual articles that we've exchanged this week, some real exclusive stuff for our subscribers. So you're going to want to check that out and get on the message boards and uh, start this whole conversation because, as Korea mentioned, Oregon State, Washington State fans, y'all got a lot in common right now. So find some common ground. Head on over to beaversedge.com, wazoowatch.com. Uh, listen to me, listen to Korea, TJ as well. And uh, again, big shout out to uh, Korea Pounds for joining us on this edition of the podcast. And as always, thanks to TJ Matthewson for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week here on the Edge podcast, recapping Oregon State's matchup against Washington State.